This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me today to Matthew chapter 6, looking at verses 19 through 21. Today's uh, sermon is in conjunction with Answering God's Challenge, our capital campaign. Today, looking at verses 19 through 21. Hear the word of God. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these words, your word, and pray that as we study them together, that your spirit will give us light and will guide us into a right understanding of them. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I say, our study of this text and this sermon this morning come in connection with answering God's challenge. So we enter the third year of our uh, capital campaign. Uh, But I want to assure you right up front, God doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. He wants you. You may have noticed that our text this morning falls right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle of chapter 6, of course, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, so-called Sermon on the Mount. And as you see that, as you think about the Sermon on the Mount, the context, Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount is that our Christian discipleship should not just be an outward shell. It wouldn't. It should not be just a, a, some sham that might pass muster with our parents or with our friends or with our pastor, but that God sees right through it. Jesus' point here in the Sermon on the Mount is that we follow him from the heart, that our righteousness is not just a shell that we put on to fool other people. Uh, not something we put on to fool maybe even ourselves, but that our righteousness before God is something that comes from the heart, from a heart that has been changed, from a heart that has been made alive. And so that the way we live, especially when we're around other Christians, uh, but even when we're not, is something that comes from the inside out. That's the point that Jesus is making in the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. Now, there are a lot of things he talks about in that context, but that's basically the sum of it, that we need hearts that have been made alive by the Holy Spirit, and if we have that, then the way we live will grow from that transformed heart. And in chapter 6, you see that very much in the context. Jesus is saying that when this is the case, for example, when we give, we don't blow a trumpet trying to draw a crowd So everybody can watch us, put the big check in the plate and say, ooh, how generous he is. What a righteous person he must be. Jesus says, if you want the applause of men, you'll get it. But God isn't impressed. Or, for example, he says, when you pray, 
You don't want to pray in such a way that you just go out onto the street corner where everybody can see you and hear you pray and think, what a spiritual person he is. Jesus says, you may get the applause of men, which is, which is what you're after, but your Heavenly Father won't be impressed. What about fasting, Jesus says in the verses just prior to our text? Uh, you don't go making yourself miserable, look miserable, so that people look at you and see and say, how he's suffering in his fasting. What a... What a, what a holy person he must be. Jesus says you may get the applause of men if that's what you're after, but you don't have the smile of God. What's his point? His point is that we give out of compassion for others and love for the Lord. We pray, we go in secret, because our point is to enjoy fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And we fast for the same reason. We're not trying to impress people, we're trying to seek God. Now, in those verses and in what follows... Jesus moves from our relationship to other people, as he talks about there, begins to address in the second half of chapter 6, our relationship to our stuff, to this world. And he, he points out a couple of things that can go wrong there. One is that we begin to live for our stuff, to live for this world and what it offers. Two is that we become anxious about our stuff. Do we have enough stuff? Do we have enough to survive? Which is actually, if you think about it, just a way of going back to the first and living for our stuff. Now, Jesus talks about that second part, being anxious, in verses 25 to 34. That's really outside the scope of what we're looking at this morning. But we want to go back to the first part, this tendency to live for it, to make it the reason for our existence. And that's what he's talking about actually in verses 19 through 24, but we're just going to look today at verses 19 through 21. Now, as we look at those verses, if we want to summarize it with just a single statement, just to encapsulate it, we put it this way. God calls us in Christ to live with our eyes fixed on heaven. He calls us to live with our eyes fixed on heaven. Now, that shouldn't be a hard concept. You've been with us since early summer. We've just completed a 15-week study of the Psalms of Ascent, right? Pilgrim Psalms, right there in the middle of the book of Psalms, that focus on the fact that the Christian life is a pilgrimage that we are passing through, that we have a destination toward which we are heading, the new Jerusalem, new heavens and the new earth. So the idea of living light the idea of focusing on living for a new world should not be difficult. But we tend to get confused. We tend to become forgetful. We tend to forget uh, that we are pilgrims, and we begin to think that this old earth is our real home, that it's real, more real, more lasting, and that uh, it will last forever. And so we start living accordingly because we begin to forget. But God calls us in Christ to live with our eyes fixed on heaven. Now, as we look at verses 19 through 21, there are three truths here that will help us to remember that, to live with our eyes fixed, not on this earth, but on heaven. Number one, first truth Jesus mentions here, this world is a bad investment. This world is a bad investment. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, in those words, Jesus gives us an instruction 
and a reason. The instruction is, is plain. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, what is he saying here? Well, treasures is a pretty broad term. When we think of treasure, we're inclined to think most quickly perhaps of money, of possessions, you know, think of 401ks, homes, cars, computers, clothes, jewelry. Certainly includes those things. Stuff. And that may be well, uh, well be exactly what Jesus is referring to. However, treasures is a broad term. He doesn't refer specifically to money. He says your treasures, store up treasures on earth. So, and by the way, that word treasure is the word from which our word thesaurus comes from, a treasury of words. That's strictly an aside, sidebar. Um, anything we treasure, it could be something tangible, but it can also be intangible. Things like honor, position, promotion, power, people and relationships, comfort, security, Favorite sports team, favorite TV show, things that you value, treasuring. Well, why not? Why, why would Jesus say this? Why not lay up treasures for ourselves on earth? Well, Jesus then gives a reason. He gives the instruction, then he gives a reason for it. He could just instruct us, but he gives a very good reason. Notice what he says. Where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. The reason Jesus gives is because the things we lay up for ourselves here on earth are liable to loss, either in themselves to break down, uh, to, to, to be destroyed one way or another, as he mentions moths eating fabric, rust, corroding. Uh, you know how in this world things tend to run down. Or he says subject to loss, he mentions specifically through theft, Someone breaking in and making off with something that's yours. Jesus says the reason we don't set our hearts on storing up treasures on earth is because it's a risky business. They are, those things are liable to loss at any time. And notice Jesus doesn't say where moth and rust may destroy, where thieves may break in and steal. Those are specific examples he gives, but he states them as something that eventually happens. Whatever form the loss may take, earthly treasures will be lost. And you think about it. People put forth astounding effort, vast amounts of time to accumulate for themselves what can be lost in a moment. Storing up treasures on earth, Jesus says, is a very risky investment. In fact, it's not risky at all. It ends in loss. Would you put all your money, would you invest all your assets in a company you saw was failing and knew eventually would fold? Well, Jesus says, those who live for this world, who lay up its treasures, are doing just that. And if in this world you don't eventually lose it, you will eventually leave it. That's truth number one. Truth number two, heaven is a great investment. This world is a bad investment. Heaven is a great investment. Verse 20, Jesus says, but, by contrast, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And again, we have an instruction and a reason. The instruction, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
Now, we, you're probably so familiar with that verse, if you've been a Christian for very long, that this doesn't strike you as odd. But it is sort of puzzling. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We know how to lay up treasures on earth. You know, boy, do we ever. Uh, you buy things. You, you put money in investments, mutual funds. Of course, there's not a whole lot of laying up a treasure on earth at the moment that way right now. But traditionally, that's one way to do it. We know how to, we know how to store up treasures on earth. We know what to do. But how do you store up treasures in heaven? I mean, is there, is there a website you can go to? You know, heaven.com, you know, you just purchase shares in a, in a divine mutual fund. How do you store up treasures in heaven? Well, the principle that scripture interprets scripture is, is of course our friend here. Uh, the, the rule that you interpret more puzzling passages in light of plainer Passages, and is there several places in Scripture that talk about how we store up treasure in heaven? Turn over to First Timothy six. This is probably the plainest about how how we would go about doing what Jesus tells us to do here. First Timothy six verses seventeen through nineteen. Paul writes, "As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty." nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. How are we to store up treasure as a good foundation for the future? In other words, how are we to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven? Well, according to Paul, we're to use the opportunities and means God has given us to do good, he says. In fact, to be rich, not only in possessions, but rich in good works, as he says, to be generous and ready to share. So, again, this is fairly broad. How do we how do we go about investing in heaven? Well, certainly it can be directly giving money to a church or to an organization that's involved in spreading the gospel of Christ. It can also mean using your home for Christian hospitality. It can mean visiting the sick or taking them a meal. It can mean teaching a Sunday school class or talking to someone about Jesus. It means sharing our means, sharing other things that we treasure, such as our energy, our time, our lives. They can be big things. And to hear in the news about people making big donations or whatever. But God takes account of the small things. Remember Mark chapter 10, verse 42. Jesus said, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple. Truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Very simple thing. But even just a cup of cold water to someone to refresh them. But it's just because they're a brother or sister in Christ. Jesus says they won't lose their reward. The Heavenly Father sees that, takes account of that, and that investment is recorded in the ledger of your investments in heaven. Now, we want to be careful, because as Jesus warned, we don't do these things to earn the approval and applause of others. We do it because we love Jesus. We do it because we love his people. We do it because we want other people to become part of his People in the world. Now, Jesus gives us the reason, again in verse 20, the instruction, but why? Because this investing makes sense. 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. This is an investment that can't be lost. This is storing up treasure that can't be stolen, that won't devalue or corrode or or get moth-eaten over time. What does our treasure in heaven look like? Think about, we take that for granted, but what does it look like? You know, is it a bigger mansion? Is it a, is it a larger checking account in the bank of heaven? Yes. That got your attention, didn't it? Yes. Why do I say that? Well, maybe. But I think yes. Because we need to recognize that contrary to most people's conception of heaven as some vague, wispy, ethereal uh, sort of existence, Heaven, in terms of the new heavens and new earth, the final state, not that intermediate state of our soul being with the Lord while the body's in the ground, but after the resurrection, we will live in a new heaven and a new earth that is very real, that's very tangible, that includes dirt and rivers and mountains and buildings. Will our reward be physical and tangible in some way? Quite possibly, yes, because where we live will be very solid and real. Will it be a higher place in the hierarchy of heaven? Maybe. After all, in the parable of the ten minas in Luke 19, the master rewards his servant by putting them in charge of cities. Their reward involves a place in a hierarchy where they are in charge of cities. Now, of course, being glorified beings, sinless beings, will be quite happy, maybe prefer to take the lower place, let someone else be in charge. I don't know uh, what that will look like. But that may be the case. But at the same time, we need to recognize our heavenly treasure may be in some way intangible, a greater capacity for joy, a greater enjoyment of God himself. You know, it's been said everyone will have a full cup, but some people's full cup will be a larger full cup than than that of others, the capacity to enjoy the Lord. But whatever form it takes, tangible or intangible, probably both, heaven is a 100% risk-free, ironclad guarantee. So why don't Christians invest in it with more enthusiasm, with more abandon? Short answer, doubt. Long answer, lack of faith. Because earth can be seen. Earth seems so real. The rewards seem much more immediate. It's that conundrum, you know, when you're trying to go on a diet and lose weight. That bowl of ice cream would taste so good right now. Immediate reward versus denying yourself that bowl of ice cream on the hope that you might wind up losing weight later, knowing you may well not, and you've deprived yourself the joy of that bowl of ice cream. That's hard. It's a hard thing. It takes faith. I think that's why Christians often don't invest in heaven with more abandon. It's just doubt. We know it's real, but it doesn't seem as immediate. It doesn't seem as real. There are many Christians who, while they would never say it, by their checking account statement, declare loudly, they think earth is a better investment than heaven. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Third truth Jesus mentions here. Your heart follows your treasure. Look at verse 21. 
Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, we think we know what Jesus is saying there. But if you read over that too quickly, you may not. What we think Jesus is saying is, you know, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. In other words, we'll invest in those things we're passionate about. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure goes, right? If you're passionate about this earth, you invest in this earth. If you're passionate about heaven, you invest in heaven. Not what Jesus said. That's true, but it's not what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? He said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. He didn't say where your heart is, that's where your treasure will go. He said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. In other words, passion follows action. It's like in marriage. If you've been married for a number of years, you may not feel the initial emotion uh, and, and sense of being in love that you felt when you first got married. How do you rekindle that? By pursuing emotion? No. By beginning to act in a loving manner toward your husband or toward your wife. By beginning to serve him or her. By doing things that demonstrate concern or regard for the other. And you know, as you begin to act in that way, as you begin to act in a loving way, you'll find that the feelings begin to follow. Or someone you can't stand. Someone at work who annoys you, who is a thorn in your side. And you start to pray for that person. It's hard at first. You feel like a complete hypocrite. But you start to pray for that person. And you find that over time, you begin to care about that person. You begin to wonder what the effect of your prayer in their heart is. And you begin to uh, find that you are actually concerned for that person. The feeling follows the action. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Where you invest, where you begin investing your treasure... That's where your passion will be. You'll begin to care about that. You'll begin to get excited about that. It makes sense, doesn't it? After all, if all your energies and efforts go toward yourself and toward this world and who you are here, then it's only natural that right here is where your heart and your passion will be. On the other hand, if your treasure is in heaven, if you're giving, even though you say, boy, I could sure could use this money, I'd rather you know, use this money to get this or that, but instead I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it to this missionary or this RUF campus minister sent me a letter asking for financial support. You know, and I, could, I was thinking I'd use this money to get the latest eye thingy, but instead, I think I'm just going to give it, support that missionary. And you know what happens? You start to wonder how that missionary is doing. You start to wonder what's happening on that campus. You start to get interested in the fact that there are students coming to faith in Christ through that ministry. You see, Passion follows action. Your heart will follow your investment. If you've got money invested in a mutual fund, you may check to see how that mutual fund's doing. If you've got money invested in missionary enterprise in the world, you start to check on it. You want to see what's going on. You know, what, what is that investment producing? That's what Jesus is saying. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. If you're storing up treasure in heaven, your heart's going to get more and more fixated on heaven. If you're storing up treasure on earth, your heart's going to get more and more fixated on earth. Now, I'm finally going to come to this, and I need to say this. This is not a wealth issue. This is not a matter of, of being wealthy versus being poor. We're not saying wealth is bad, poverty is good. The scriptures are clear that God may bless with prosperity, in part for our enjoyment. We saw that in, in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. This is not a wealth issue. 
Scriptures tell us to work hard to provide for ourselves and for our families. Go to the ant. There's a reason our nation prospers or once prospered under what was called the Protestant work ethic. That we work hard and trust God will bless. I want you to suppose a case, trying to illustrate this. Suppose there's a man, family, have a very nice large home, have several very nice cars, have a home at the lake, a boat, car parked up there. You look at the man and think, hmm, storing up treasures on earth, must not be a real Christian. Really? Well, suppose you saw the bigger picture, and that this man actually has far more wealth than you seem to see on the outside. He gives far more away to missionary enterprise than he spent on his house and his cars. Plus, he uh, he, uh, lends out his home at the lake to missionaries who are home on furlough and allows them use of the car that's there for the year that they're here on home mission assignment. And in fact, is using the means God has given him to store up treasure for himself in heaven far more than you are. What am I saying? I'm saying do not be deceived by appearances. Someone who is poor can be investing on earth. Now, that's not to say we don't want to be careful and be wise about what we give our money to here on earth. But it is saying we need to be careful, as Jesus says, not to judge by appearances, to make a right judgment, to remember the question, where is the heart? That's what God sees. So we want to make sure that we're not understanding what Jesus is saying here as being a matter of wealth versus poverty or just a wealth issue. God blesses some tremendously. There are people who give away more money in their lifetime than I'll ever earn in mine. So we need to recognize that and recognize that uh, each servant answers to his master on his own. So the Lord knows the heart, and the heart is what matters. And verse 21 does bring us full circle. Matthew 6, verse 21, where Jesus brings us back, as in the Sermon on the Mount, to the heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As we begin year three of answering God's challenge, I want to challenge you to direct some of your giving, above and beyond the tithe, to this capital campaign, to direct your giving and therefore your passion to the work of the gospel at Old Peachtree. And notice I say the work of the gospel and not a building. The building is only a means. It is not the end. The building is a means, we trust, toward more people hearing of Christ, more people being built up in him, more people coming into the kingdom, both here and around the world. Where is your heart? You see, wherever you invest, that's where your heart will be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, uh, Lord, for its truth, for its power. Father, we pray as we thought about these passages, these verses here, that uh, by your spirit we would examine ourselves in them. Father, are we investing in earth? Are we investing in heaven? Father, give us wisdom. We thank you, Lord, for how richly you've provided for us. And Father, we thank you that we can enjoy that. Uh, but we also thank you, Lord, for your call to, uh, to use it to store up treasure for ourselves in heaven. And Lord, give us grace, give us wisdom that we might invest wisely, that we might be good stewards of what you have given to us. And Father, we pray that our hearts would be fixed on Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen.